Please remain standing for just a moment as we read God's Word together this morning. Today it's actually going to be more of a reciting of a very uh, familiar text to us. And just as we seem to be winding down uh, our study in Philippians, uh, next week will be the last one in this series for the foreseeable future. Uh, Paul seems to be ramping up his encouragement and his exhortation to the church that he loves uh, so very much. You remember at the beginning of, of chapter 3, finally, brothers, rejoice in the Lord. And I'll say it again, I'll keep saying it. It's not hard for me to keep saying this. There are things that we need to hear over and over and over again uh, for the strengthening of our faith and for growing up, maturing as a church uh, in the Lord Jesus. So joy in Christ is a strain that just runs through uh, this epistle. We get to hear about that this morning. So please, please read aloud with me. Uh, we're going to read uh, 4 through 7. Verse 8 is printed there, but we're going to read just 4 through 7 together. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for your word. A word that you have sovereignly, graciously given to us and a word that we need. And we pray your help now, Holy Spirit, in illuminating this word upon our hearts that we might know you more, that we might be changed, conformed increasingly into the likeness of the Lord Jesus. Lord, give your servant strength now in, in speaking. Make us attentive in hearing and uh, applying this uh, beautiful word uh, that you've given. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I was on the way to a meeting, a Christian education meeting we had in the church a couple of weeks ago, and I was riding with Heath and, and Bill. Uh, Heath is just a little bit taller than I am, so he got to ride in the front seat, and I got delegated to the back. Short guys never get to ride shotgun. Um, but I, I had plenty of room back there. And while we were driving, kind of working our way down to Highway 40, uh, Heath made a comment that uh, this was a little strange because anytime he drives into town, he's the one driving, not actually sitting in the passenger seat. Uh, to which I chimed in from the back, and I was like, yeah, this is, this is, this is a little different. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a little more uneasy with this. Not because Brother Bill is such a dangerous driver. Um, I didn't feel like my, my life was in danger. But sitting there and trusting Bill, you know, to make every left and right and start and stop, um, you know, it, it's a little different. A little more uneasy with that. You realize that, wow, I'm not in control here. Now I know how my family feels when they get in a car with me every time. Um, but generally, okay, whether we're in a vehicle or not in a vehicle, uh, it makes us nervous when we're not in control. Um, and we, when we consider where most of, our, most of our worry, most of our anxiety comes from, it comes from not being in control. You know, we don't know what this next hour holds. Um, Make an unexpected diagnosis this week. We have expenses that, that crop up. Can't control these things. So many things that we can't control. 
Uh, and so it's when we try to, to control them, sort of be masters of our own destiny, that the worry just sort of piles on. Um, the apostle, he mentions this in these verses. In fact, one of the imperatives is don't be anxious, don't worry. doesn't say be happy right after it. It says don't worry, pray. And so what, what I want us to do this morning is to look at these imperatives, the commands uh, that Paul gives to structure our, uh, our view of these verses. If we're in Christ and things look a certain way. Joy looks a certain way. There are certain things that will be true and come as a result of that joy. So the first command is right there. Rejoice. I'll say it again. Rejoice. It's amazing that the Apostle Paul can say this given his situation, what he has endured over the years. Okay, now he's, he's sitting in change and he says rejoice. Um, and it certainly wouldn't be the first time for Paul. You can recall in Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas are in jail in Philippi, the folks that he's writing to, and they model this. Let me read it, Acts chapter 16. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. In jail, there's joy. And Peter and John, they leave the custody of the council. This is back in Acts chapter 5. It says that they were rejoicing um, counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the sake of Christ. Then Jesus, teaching in Matthew chapter 5, says when the disciple is reviled and persecuted on account of him, rejoice and be glad. Great is your reward in heaven. And Peter speaks of the, to the persecuted church in 1 Peter chapter 4. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. So are you hearing a correlation here between joy, rejoicing, and our circumstances? The joy can't be, certainly doesn't depend on the circumstance. We have joy in the the happy times of life, fun moments that bring joy, and there is joy in the difficult circumstances. Things that God takes us through under His severe mercy which is where Paul seems to be writing from right now. So if anything, there appears to be a strong correlation between joy and sacrifice. Joy and sharing the sufferings of Christ. Our rejoicing is something that can't be touched by our circumstances. It's bound to Christ. You think, well, this is all New Testament? No, we can go back to the Old Testament. The prophet Habakkuk is an example He's worn down by God's judgment upon his people at the hands of uh, foreign nations. Uh, Things did not look good. Nothing seems to be going the way it should. Listen to what he says. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. So this this joy runs deep over circumstances or even feelings. I think we get hung up on that at times because we're often told and, and, and we tend to believe that it's our feelings that are in control. That they're the ones that govern everything. You know, follow your heart. Just go with your feelings. Yikes. The heart is deceitful. My feelings are all over the map on any given day. 
And so it can't be dependent on circumstances. If my joy in the Lord and is following my feelings, and that gets pretty depressing pretty quick when we read a command like we have here in verse 4. Um, but what turns a, a depressing command into a delight is to realize that we are not slave to our emotions, as important as they are. Our emotions, our feelings are actually shaped by what it is we think, by what it is we, we do. Our thinking is what guides our, our emotions. And so when Paul speaks of the, the peace of God in verse 7 that we read, he says it guards our hearts and minds in Christ. And in verse 8, after listening to, listing all of these beautiful adjectives, he says, think about such things. Think about it. Think on them. Our thought life is so very, very important. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind, Paul says in Romans 12. So our joy as Christians is based upon who God is and all of His power and glory and majesty and holiness and faithfulness and what He has done in Christ by His mercy and grace and love. Think on those things and you can rejoice. See, without this, we, we cannot rejoice always. And we're only going to pretend maybe put on a happy face. Or maybe we'll sound like Wallace and Gromit. We caught an episode not too long ago. Um, you know, Wallace and Gromit are on their little toy train in their house, and, and Wallace is in the back just frailing. Oh, he's doing nothing. And Gromit is actually trying to catch the penguin that they're chasing, and he's making the track as they go and doing all the work. And at the end, they're sitting back in their easy chairs with the paper open, and all's well that ends well is what I say. Uh, comes from Wallace. Is that the nature of joy that Paul has in mind? All's well that ends well. Um, it'll all work out. You know, don't, don't worry about it. Hey, look on the bright side. No, this is not a self-help technique here. This joy is a confidence in our inner being, thinking on the truths of God. It comes from the Lord Himself. And church family, here, here's the wonder behind this command. God is, God is the source of our joy. All of those adjectives in verse 8 channel our hearts and our minds toward the character and beauty of God Himself. The character of God and His promises do not change when everything else around us is changing. Moving away from a loved one. Preparing for a surgery. A deployment. Job surprises. Maybe trapped or caught again in a moral failure. Okay? We're not jumping for joy at those times. And yet the mind that is fixed upon Christ, the heart that, that's just captive to the grace of God, can rejoice even in those times. So we keep coming back to the source of our joy. Thinking, meditating on the riches of Christ. And here's where you say, well, I, I just don't seem to have this joy. Um, I wish I had more of this joy in the Lord. Let me ask you, what does your thought life look like from day to day? We think about a lot of things. They're not always those things that fuel joy in the Lord. What's fueling your thoughts? We're feeding on things, but so often we're feeding fear, and anxiety, and worry. And could it be that these words sound so idealistic for us at time, maybe most of the time, 
because our lives look so little like Christ and His sacrifice. So, so here's, here's the challenge, as, as much for me as for anyone else. Put yourself out there for the sake of another. Family member, co-worker, neighbor. Um, risk the pain, risk the, the rejection, the betrayal in loving them. Does that sound familiar? And see if your joy in the Lord doesn't increase. Big time. It's the pattern before us. Do we, do we believe it or do we not? So a joyful people are a gentle people. This is the second command. We are to be known. That's the imperative. Be known as reasonable people. What does that mean? <laughs> I'll sell you a candy bar for a dollar. That's reasonable, don't you think? And you can pay me back later, Gabe. I'm a reasonable guy. Is that what Paul's talking about? Um, so the term here can be translated as gentleness. Maybe you've read or memorized uh, that translation. But what's really being talked about is a forbearance, a high threshold for tolerance. Um, so we're not easily angered. We're, we're not out to pick fights. Uh, we don't have to be right all the time. Ouch! <laughs> that one stings. Um, because I know how quickly I am to want to rise and defend myself. Um, I'm right. Just ask my wife. I'm always right. And I have to keep defending myself. She's laughing now in the joy of the Lord, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> Let's just cut that out, Heath. Let's cut that 10 seconds out of the recording. Um, but does our joy look like a reputation of, of keeping the peace? I think if you ever played one of those more complex games, like Monopoly or something, you play it with some of the younger ones in the family, do you keep all of those rules that are in the book? Probably not. Probably not. You're going to let a few of those things go for the harmony of your home, right? Um, that, that's the idea here. Um, overlook an offense. We don't have to take ourselves so seriously that it grates against others. Why? Because the Lord is near. End of verse 5. He's near in the moment. He's indwelling us by the Holy Spirit, but He's coming back. So this, is, this is a time and space nearness here. Is, he is near to those who call on Him, and His return is very near. Uh, and this, this is just hugely important when addressing worry and anxiety. Okay? Uh, we're not in control. We don't have to have everything or everyone sorted out. Uh, because the time is coming very soon when it will be an embarrassment to think that we worried so much. The Lord of heaven and earth, the righteous judge, is returning. Not for sin, but to right all wrongs. To say enough is enough. You know, Satan and the world under his, under his dominion is, is fighting a losing battle right now. A losing battle for its own, uh, own lordship and autonomy. Enough! Lord Jesus will come, make all things new. The incarnation, the, the life of, of Jesus and His resurrection show us this. He's the firstborn of all who have been made alive. The first of what is to come. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. It needs to be sung all year round, not just for four weeks. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make His blessings flow far as the curse is found. 
He is near. So brothers and sisters, if we are easily offended people, it says a lot about the condition of our hearts and whether our joy is really in the Lord and in His grace. Whether we're trusting Him, resting in the certainty of His return. So just take a, take a pulse check here. If you are easily offended by little things, big things certainly, but the little things. Maybe you need some calibration on the depth of your sin because it is much worse than you think. And some assurance of God's grace because it is much better than you can imagine. Let your joy and gentleness and kindness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Two more imperatives here that Paul shares. They're very closely linked. Don't worry about anything and pray about everything doesn't mean we're not concerned about anything. Uh, I mean, this is a complex thing, worry and, and anxiety. Uh, sometimes there, there are certain things we should be genuinely concerned about. All right? You should be scared as you approach the edge of the cliff. There's a little bit of anxiety there. So it safeguards us. Um, not all concern is elevated to the point of anxiety uh, in our lives. But to continue to dwell on those things, to stew on them, um, that is where... We begin to worry. Um, we're not trusting in God for the future. Um, let me tell you, here's, here's where our imaginations tend to take over. Imaginations feed worry real fast. Happened to me again this last week. Uh, our youngest had, had hurt her wrist, and Katie was on the phone telling me about it. And, and immediately I started thinking, well, we're going to have to take her in here, and well, that's going to cost this much, and where is that going to come from? Well, this is what she has to do this week, and she's not going to be able to do that, and just boom, 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 boom. Happens like that. Now, in the Lord's mercy, this text was sitting not far away from me so I could stick a fork in that imagination. But that's, that's what it does. Um, amazing how quickly this happens. Um, and it robs us, robs us of joy. Do not be anxious. Jesus speaks in Matthew 6, Luke chapter 12. The Father knows what it is you need. You can't add one minute to your life by worrying I mean, the church in Philippi, they had a lot to worry about or could worry about. They could worry about Paul. They could worry about Epaphroditus. They could worry about the gift that he was taking to them. They could worry about the, you know, the, the Roman rule over them. Um, there's plenty that worries us or could worry us. I mean, all you have to do is open your eyes in the morning, right? Don't get out of bed if you don't want to worry about something, it seems. So what do we do? How do we stop worrying about all these things? And Paul says the answer is to start praying about everything. That's the last imperative. Make known your requests to God. Tell Him. Talk to Him. Submit your circumstances to Him. So Paul's focus here is on the whole of our prayer life. The prayer and petition or prayer and, and supplication. Hard to distinguish in this writing. Oftentimes in supplication we're praying for someone or for something uh, specifically, which is, is consistent with uh, the requests that follows in verse 6. But the only qualifier is with thanksgiving. Our attitude in prayer is of gratitude to God. We're entirely dependent on Him. Everything we have is a gift from Him. Even the, in the way that He answers our prayer is uh, something we can be thankful for. So talk to Him. Let Him know what's on your heart and be specific about it. Now notice what Paul says about the circumstances as you pray. That's exactly right. 
He says nothing. Absolutely nothing about the circumstances. Um, God may or may not remove the circumstances or the source of worry. But He is near. He sustains us, keeps us, whether this situation unfolds or whether it doesn't. Natalie Grant, a contemporary uh, Christian singer, she has put this to, to song in a very powerful way. The song is entitled Held. Listen to this. Two months is too little. They let him go. They had no sudden healing. To think that providence would take a child from his mother while she prays is appalling. Who told us we'd be rescued? What has changed and why should we be saved from nightmares? We're asking why this happens. To us who have died to live, it's unfair. This is what it means to be held. This is what it is to be loved. And to know that the promise was when everything fell, we'd be held. Make known your requests. Now, prayer in and of itself may not make us feel better. It's not our prayer that is doing, it's the Lord who is doing something. He is at work for the good of all those who love Him. And we don't offer a request to God because He doesn't know what's happening. Lord, I certainly didn't see this coming. Did you see this coming? Of course He did. So instead we pray, Lord, I didn't see this coming, but you are good. Lord, I didn't see this coming, but you are faithful. Lord, I didn't see this coming, but you are just you are merciful. And in doing, so, doing that, the, the burden, the fear, the anxiety begins to lift. Um, many of the letters that Pastor Jack Miller uh, wrote have been collected and published now. Jack was a professor at Westminster Seminary. He was a director of World Harvest Mission. And uh, the Lord called him home rather suddenly, at least from our perspective, in 1996. Uh, but very few could expound the gospel uh, in a way that Jack Miller could. And so writing to a young pastor, he, he shares this, We secretly suspect that his will might be more demanding, more crucifying of our desires than we can handle. But daily surrender to his will as you pray. And it will bring a freedom from anxiety that you cannot believe. Recently, I was caught up in a spirit of anxiety. Nothing could shake it. But I simply gave myself to thanking and praising God for everything I could think of. Result, as I increasingly gave him the glory for all his great works, my faith recovered from its near death. And I ended up walking on water and singing as I went. As we lay our cares before the Lord with thanksgiving, something very powerful happens as a result of that. That's verse 7. This peace of God guards our hearts and our minds from from fear, from trouble. Um, you see, God has done what we cannot do for ourselves. We've heard this this morning in prayer. We cannot do for ourselves in saving us from sin, but He is still doing that in our lives. He who began a good work, remember in chapter 1, will we'll carry it on. He's still sustaining us, guarding us, granting a peace that we cannot drum up ourselves or provide for ourselves. This peace of God is beyond us. I really don't know how to preach this. Um, it's not something I can just say, this is what it's going to feel like. Or you'll, you'll know when it's happening here. I can't do that. Uh, something that He gives. Uh, protecting us from this utter despair uh, is His gift of peace. 
Uh, so joy and peace come as we turn everything over uh, to the Lord. Some of you have experienced this peace like in the midst of affliction where you, where you have prayed, you know others have been praying for you. And you've, you've experienced this. Um, you know it because it's outside of yourself. Outside of what any, anybody else could offer you. Not, not just emptying our minds, filling, filling our minds with the truth of God's grace so that we can truly say there will be grace for tomorrow. There will be grace for the unknown. Um, the Lord is very willing. He is able to do this. He gives peace to His children, young and old, who entrust everything to Him. Um, well-known pastor has said, the only way to be happy in Christ is to be desperately unhappy without Him. The only way. He is near. Though we have sorrow now, you will see Him again and your hearts will rejoice. And nothing, nothing will take that joy from you. Let's pray together. Lord, You are the source of all that is good and beautiful. You are the source of our joy. Lord, help us to believe this because we so often don't. That our circumstances and the things that you've given, Lord, that determines our joy, but it is not so. It is you, Lord Jesus. We are bound to you. You are our life. Increase our joy. Imprint this word upon our hearts, Lord. Give us peace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.